so Lauren, every once in a while I use these episode introductions when we don't have a lovely fan letter to um, talk about something that I love that's not really related to She-Ra. You know, like when I talk about Bruce Springsteen or something. Yeah. So I want to talk about uh, Scott Ackerman today, who I think is someone I brought up on this podcast before, but I was so almost even moved by a show he just put out. So Scott Ackerman is the host of Comedy Bang Bang, which is like one of my favorite podcasts and one of the reasons I wanted to do podcasting. So he does the show called Are You Talking R.E.M. Re.Me with Adam Scott, which is the comprehensive and encyclopedic guide to all things R.E.M., uh, so they just, I, I realized that like what we're doing, this show that we do here is kind of like unknowingly my version of, ad, of, uh, Scott Ackerman's like shows about bands because formerly he had a show called you talking you two to me where the, it culminates and they end up interviewing you too. Like they talk about you two so much that eventually like someone who works with the band, like contacts them and is like, Hey, do you want to interview the actual band? Oh, that did literally happen right? to us though. That like is our story. But then this REM show is even crazier because as, as you may know, REM is broken up so they can't really interview the band as a band anymore. But they were asked to do this live show at Clusterfest in San Francisco and this REM tribute band reached out to them on Twitter and was like, hey, do you want a house band? And so Scott was kind of hemming and hawing and separately Peter Buck's friend, who is the guitar player for REM, reached out and said Peter would like to do your show in San Francisco. So what they did is they set up this surprise on last week's episode where Peter Buck crashed the REM tribute band's gig as their house band. They didn't tell the band and so they ended up playing a gig with the guitar player from REM in front of this crowd of like 3,000 people, which is a crazy amount of people to come see a live podcast. Which is like the greatest thing ever. And it's it's like maybe my favorite podcast episode of all time. So I don't know what our version of that is. Because we had our version of meeting you two. But what is our version of Peter Buck playing with an R.E.M. tribute band? <laughs> uh, I, we, think, I think for us it would have to be at least meeting some of the voice actors. Because we haven't done that yet. And some of them are a pretty big deal. Like Gina Davis is a really big deal. I think that's right. I think I think voice acting is the final frontier. Or someone from the original show. I think those are the two uh, routes we have yet to pursue. In terms of the podcast, definitely. I would love to talk to Melendi Britt. A long time ago, I sent her a Facebook message, and it did that thing where it's like, seen. <laughs> and so <laughs> Melendi Britt uh, seened me and did not reply to me. <laughs> Yo, did you see that message? Um, she seened it. it <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen and everyone else, welcome to She-Ra Progressive of Power. This is Eric. I just asked Lauren if she'd like to intro the show for another week. And with Fig Newton in her mouth, she said, no. no. It's just because I was eating. <laughs> eating my snack. Um, I'm like a toddler when we start this show. Eric's like, okay, time to do the podcast. And I go, wait, I need a snack. Wait, I need to go to the bathroom. And then we start like 15 minutes late every time. <laughs> Well, sometimes you need snacks and bathroom breaks. It's just how it goes. Sometimes being 100% of the time. Anyway, this is probably our season finale because it's the season finale of She-Ra season two. I said season a lot right there. Yeah. We'll be back in about a month, maybe, unless something else pops up on our radar. But uh, before we leave you for a while, we have to talk about the final episode of the She-Ra half season reunion. Yeah. Season, season two, but... Season three is really going to be like 2.5, I think. I think so, too. But <laughs> Lauren's finishing her Fig Newton. <laughs> My mouth is just so full of food. I'm sorry. But uh, so the episode we're covering today is Reunion, which is, I mean, it does a lot of things and it's a very good episode. But kind of most interestingly, I think in the fandom, what it does is it introduces Bo's two dads. Yeah, we hinted a couple episodes ago that we were going to be talking soon about non-traditional family structures. And last week we had Shannon on, who was a nanny. And this week I've brought one of my friends from college. I did improv back in the day. Uh, my friend is Chris Zamier. Hello, Chris. Hello, Lauren. Hello, Eric. Thank you for having me. Uh, Thank you, Chris. Chris has recently introduced his daughter to She-Ra. I'm, I'm told she really likes it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we were just at the public pool today, and her... Uh, her call out instead of cannonball is for the honor of Grayskull. Oh. So she kept shouting it as loud as she could before jumping right in. 
That's so precious. I can't wait for the next time I see her. How old is your daughter? She just turned four uh, June 16th. Oh, that's amazing. She's super rad. Um, I met her recently when I was reuniting with a couple of my improv troupe friends. So Mm -hmm. speaking of the improv troupe days, when I met Chris, he had a different last name. I did. And that is a big part of why we brought him here today. Uh, We're talking non-traditional family structures and the different ways families can come together and who is your family. And however you are comfortable with, Chris, we would just love to hear your story. Okay. Um, I mean, in a nutshell... My uh, my parents weren't married to each other. However, my father was married. Um, I was the result of an affair, and in the most stereo, you know, the, in general, families or marriages break up after that. But um, I don't know exactly what it was with my uh, with my stepmother, but she found it in her heart um, to you know stay together with my father and raise me um, alongside you know my my real well, my other mother. Um, that's one of the things we'll probably talk about is just the confusing the confusion of language um, and how you talk about your family and like you know the technical terms. Uh, so I was raised basically in a a five family, you know, family of five structure and a single mother um, household as well, simultaneously. So, um, yeah, it was I, w- I split my time between my two families uh, pretty regularly through my childhood and teenage years. Uh, we are just so privileged that you share this story with us. I mean, it's been your entire life, but. I, th- I think I'm still learning some of this about you to this day, even though we've known each other for a long time. Right. Uh, I feel like I've known this forever. <laughs> like, as long as I've known Chris, I've known the story. Yeah. For as long as you've known Chris these past yeah. 45 seconds. Um, well, I mean, what were some of the maybe key differences between those households, or did you consider it one household? Um, I mean, there was definitely a... A feeling of two separate homes. Uh, those those two lives never really intersected, except you know my father. Um, uh, you know my my two moms were I've never seen in the same place at the same time. Um, I was for obvious reasons of just emotional toll uh, it took on. Um, I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna use names because I don't like to say stepmom or biological mom because they're sure. neither of those um, very clinical things to me. So uh, my father was married to Isis, and my mother's name is Brunilda. Um, call it, her nickname is Bruni. So um, uh, yeah, when I I think. One of the main reasons uh, my mom, my mom Isis, took such uh, a forgiving path was I was born. Um, I, I had some complications at birth, and uh, I was basically in the hospital for nine months after I was born, um, and so I was a pretty pitiful sight to see. And I think that a lot that had a lot to do with it. Um, I also she, my my mommy just didn't know about the affair until my dad told her about me. Oh. Um so throughout uh Bruni's pregnancy with me, um she had no idea and then this complication at birth happened and so my father sat her down and was like, "Look, I need to tell you something. And before he could actually make the confession, my mother used to said, you got someone pregnant, didn't you? And uh, he said, yes, he's been born and he's in the hospital and it's not, it's not great. And so she's like, well, I need to see him. And so uh, that day, like I think my second day on earth, my dad took my mom, Isis, to the hospital to see me and um, – I think she I think she understood the stakes at that point and I was never made to feel less than um you know she's I that's the thing is I always talk about my mom and for people who know my situation or are like newly in the know are always like wait your birth mom or your stepmom or like and I'm like well my mommy says she's my mom 
So our stories are actually similar in, in a handful of ways. I I don't know whether even Lauren knows this part of my life. I know. Although you some. may. Yeah. So I um I grew up without a dad for most of my life because I mean this part of the story is pretty mundane. He left you know my mom when I was in third grade or whatever. Um, just wanted something younger and, and fresher and, and wanted out of a stale marriage, I suppose. So that part was mundane, uh, except that I, I didn't see him really ever past a certain point. So I grew up without a, a male presence for so much to the point where I actually don't know how to shave. Like, I just use electric razors, uh, which probably explains why I look like I do, because why bother, right? But um, the fucked up part that I've never even talked about on my storytelling podcast, where I have told a lot of stories about my life, is that I am not – so I grew up thinking I was adopted, but at one point my aunt got drunk and intimated that perhaps I was not, that maybe I was the child of my father's affair because he really does look like me uh, and that they told me I was adopted to protect me and the community from the truth that I was uh, a bastard, mm. which is – That's a fun word, huh? Isn't you, that – well, she didn't use that, that word, but that's, no, you know, know. that's the yeah. reality of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you, you just shared that with me for the first time a couple of days ago, and I asked you, um, are you glad that you learned that information in the way that you did? That's right, we did have this yeah, talk. Yeah, and you said no. Yeah, no, I mean, what's, what's well, in, in the way that I did, certainly not. Also, my aunt is like a horrible person, and I, I have nothing but ill thoughts for her. She is ruined me time and again but that's a story for another uh show about wicked ants i guess and yeah, we'll wait for that episode yeah is it coming more, dreamworks let us more know. shadow weaver episodes really yeah um, but well, uh no I, I i'm not like what's the point of me knowing i don't know like actually i have talked about on my storytelling show how i like being adopted because it means i can write my past even though there's probably all sorts of fun like medical issues that i don't know are lying in my dna waiting for me uh, i like that i don't know where i come from and like i don't like my dad so knowing that i could be his kid it's like an interesting story but it's not a story that i you know enjoy well this this has been a pretty intense like heavy conversation in such a short time but yeah we're at minute 12 <laughs> well what's interesting to me is like y- this is going to sound really probably <laughs> probably fake and it's not you guys are two of the like most kind generous good people that i know and I thought that of both of you when I met each of you long before I knew anything about your past. So clearly it doesn't exactly matter, you know, right. the the way it all started or the way you were raised because something has happened to both of you to turn you into good, worthwhile and genuine people. And, then, you know, Eric, your whole thing is maybe it's better if I didn't know. Maybe I don't really care. And Chris has come around to change his last name and so you found some sort of peace with this too I did um, you know in a lot of circumstances guys who get women pregnant who aren't their wives don't have to stick around they um, often run and uh, I think that I, I not that I owed it to my dad but um, I'm as much his kid as I, I was my mom. Uh, and so I found, I felt like once I was starting my family with my wife and my daughter that I, I wanted to honor him and uh, give them his last name. Hmm. Um, and it's not, you know, I'm, I have an older brother on my, my mom Bruni's side. So, you know, the name Perez will live on. Definitely. Yeah. I think about it the way, and I, I I've used this line before, but from uh, from Springsteen on Broadway when he's talking about his dad, Bruce says something like, "You spend your whole life emulating the love you never got," uh, and that's how I feel about my dad. Which, like, my friend Ben uses the term "self-made man," which I hate because no one makes themselves. Like it, you know, mm-hmm. quote, "It takes a village," but I think that I did have to learn a lot of things that like. Uh, I had to learn them on my own because the alternative was to not learn them, which was unacceptable. So I'll take I'll take that much, and uh, with a little bit of the boss thrown in. My father's house shines hard and bright, stands like a beacon 
calling me in the night. I'm I'm in a very uh, contemplative place right now, and I'm also remembering that this is still a podcast about uh, a cartoon called Shira. And I actually think there is a pretty obvious transition here, right? This is definitely an episode about uh, non-traditional families. This is an episode about dads. And even to take a line from Chris, this is an episode about someone living two lives. Mm-hmm. So, Eric, uh, tell us a little bit about Reunion. Okay, that's what a good transition. You went from Fig Newton to running the ship in <laughs> real quick here. Uh, I got powered up by those calories, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Vegan snack food is mighty. Uh, yeah, so reunion. Um, the episode opens with Bo disappearing from the rebel camp. He leaves a note for his friends that says, I'm fine. And, of course, the brevity and appearance of the note at all makes Glimmer assume that Bo is far from fine. So she and Adora track Bo uh, to this library in the middle of Whispering Woods that they've never seen before. It's like a gigantic, creepy mansion house library. And inside they find Bo dressed very dapper uh, and demure with his two dads, it turns out. Bo has gone home. He can't tell his dads that he's in the rebellion because they don't like war. They don't like princesses. They, they're they pacifists, which is kind of an interesting uh, inversion, I think, on like – maybe even contemporary culture where we see the parents are uh, they're not of the opposite political belief. They're of like the non-interventionist political belief of like, Oh, we don't, we don't deal with all this fighting. You know, Uh, I thought that was cool. So uh, Bo has lied about who Adora and Glimmer were assuming that her parents, his parents would never meet them. Uh, So he thinks that Glimmer and Adora are classmates of his, but uh, when Adora finds in, in their library, this like first one's artifact, uh, and accidentally activates a killer monster machine and turns into She-Ra, the cover's kind of blown. Although it should be noted that Adora's really bad at pretending to be an Ivory Tower student anyway. Um, so there's a battle scene and then a very emotional reckoning where Bo explains to his parents that he never was really comfortable being a... Um, a scholar and that he feels like fighting is the right thing for him to do. And that is kind of like a coming out moment and his parents accept him for who he is. Uh, everyone hugs. And then there's the creepy cliffhanger where Hordak's torturing Catra for letting Shadow Weaver escape. And meanwhile, Shadow Weaver is standing above Adora's bed in the rebel camp. Yeah, the the infamous cliffhanger that even now as we record has yet to be resolved and won't be for like another month. Gosh, So there's a lot of lore in this episode, and there's a lot of questions. And my first question is, we definitely know all of the lies that Bo told his dad, but what did he tell Glimmer? If Glimmer's never heard any of this before, and yet he's basically living with her, what excuse did he give if he'd never talked about his family? Do we know that? Well, didn't she say something like he uh, – she just assumed he was like from the – not from the streets, but you know what I mean? Like like raised on his own in like the tough woods or something. Oh, like, I don't know. I remember her saying he's a very private person. I think that when someone doesn't offer up information about where they come from or who their family is, I think that uh, people who are close will always sort of assume that it's a sore topic that maybe you don't bring up with them because it hurts, you know? Yeah, and I I actually think that's a pretty fair assessment that is a very glimmer route to take. Mm -hmm. Uh, We saw at the very beginning that Adora sleeps with a knife. (laughs) Adora, there's a lot of comedy in this episode, and it comes from Adora. And her consistent mispronunciation of words in an an attempt to be a feat is so funny to me. Huge props to Amy Carrero. Uh, Amy's agent, if you're listening, we are free for an interview just to bring it back to the start of the episode. Uh, to the point where when she transforms, she says, for the honor of Grey Skull. And then they put the echo on the wrong accentuation of the syllable. It's very good. Yeah, it's like Adora's idea of what a fancy person must talk like. Yeah. But she just has no experience with it. Yeah. The the knife thing I don't find particularly funny. Um, it's actually, to me, kind of a callback to her PTSD and I think that's intentional because later in the episode we see Catra sort of hallucinating Shadow Weaver in the way that Adora used to. And we're just reminded that all of these 
teenagers are still just carrying trauma around with them all the freaking time. You're right. I think it's more the incongruity of how it appears in the scene. That is true. Yeah. So Bo has told his family that he's at the Academy of Historic Enterprises, which is not a real place. And I'm surprised that his dads don't know it's not a real place. They never looked it up or tried to visit or anything. Um, He's also the youngest of 13 kids. And that's another one of my questions about this episode is they seem to have such a plan for Bo and such a thumb on what he's going to be. But is that actually because the other 13 kids also didn't want the library? What what happened to all them? It's a good question. You might be able to infer that or else, you know, wouldn't they also be what what do you call is it a helicopter dad or <laughs> you know, they'd be helicoptered they, as well. They're, they're definitely kind of helicopter parents to him. George was did I did I get this? He was a soldier in the first Princess War. Yeah. Uh PS I, I like uh Chris, you talked about the the language gets tough when you have kind of two parents of the same gender because I think we saw that reflected in the episode where mm-hmm. Bo just calls his dad George and Keith, right? Well, Lance. Lance. <laughs> oh, I was thinking it was Keith and Lance because of Voltron. I thought that would have oh. been funny. George and Lance. No, there's actually a reason they, they're named this, though. Do you know it? No, I don't. Tell me. Uh, Josie Campbell got to name George, and George is named for the original Bo voice actor from the 80s. George DeCenzo. Yeah, the late George DeCenzo. Lance is just named because that's a weapon name like Bo. But George is a tribute. And then is George the one who dresses more like classic Bo, too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Wow, I learned something. Yeah, normally you're the one who brings the old She-Ra stuff. And I was like, I have one, finally. Nailed it. Okay, I got one then. Speaking of old She-Ra, so when Adora meets Bo's parents and learns that they are archivists, all of her questions relate to the legend of She-Ra, and she asks what they know about her. And Bo's parents respond, well, first we think her name was Hera, which is really funny because that's what uh, Larry Dottilio and J. Michael Straczynski had originally called She-Ra before they decided She-Ra's a better name. Uh, of course, they say she fights for the power of Skull, which is He-Man's catchphrase. And then this is not a reference to the original series as far as I know, but they say she rides on a dragon and they have a vase depicting that, which makes Adora very jealous. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping in my heart of hearts that maybe Mara or someone else has a dragon and we'll get to see it because dragons are great and should be in all media. It's just my opinion. And shouldn't be ridden by strong women. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who, uh, I, I don't remember what we talked about last episode very well, but I'm pretty sure they these women go crazy, right? And then Right. <laughs> women, when they get power, uh, ride dragons right. and burn all the innocent people in a city, of course. Right, because of their hormones what else are or whatever. Women do, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, we also, maybe we misled listeners last episode because we talked about what Serenia was in the original Shira, which is a, a place on Etheria. But in this episode, they stress pretty hard that Serenia is a person. So yeah. not that those two are at odds with each other, but, you know. Yeah, my my two theories now are either Serenia was on the opposite side of the portal as Mara, like maybe Serenia is on the outside, whereas Mara got locked in. Or I really hope Serenia is Madame Raz, and that would connect the fact that Serenia was Raz's planet if she just actually is Raz. That's a really, I love that. I bet that's right. Uh, Very cool. So one thing I want to talk about, uh, which is kind of a main theme of this episode, is who Bo's parents think he is versus who he actually is. Because we see this wonderful, tearful apology at the end. But I don't think it necessarily cancels out the fact that they had the wrong impression of their son for, like, his entire life. Um, The idea that they think he's shy when he's not, and he's playing historian, and he doesn't like pirates. Just a lifetime of misconceptions about about their kid. How do we feel about that? How, How realistic is that, maybe? Growing up, you know, in two separate households, there was this idea that, you know, my mom had one sort of plan and my dad had another plan. And, you know, so like on the, you know, throughout the week, I'm sort of like 
being built up and fostered with ideas and, you know, encouraged in one light. And then I go, you know, on the weekends with my dad and I, you know, maybe it's in my behavior or something I say. And he's like, well, what is that all about? Like, no, <laughs> no. Uh, to To sum up sort of the idea in one anecdote, when I was nine, my mom took me to get my ear pierced. Oh. And... She thought it was cool, and I think I thought it was cool, but it also really hurt, and I was like, wow, I, <laughs> if I knew that was what was happening. <laughs> what maybe, a fun day. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, my dad made me take that out, like, within hours, like, within minutes of him seeing me, and I never had my ear pierced again. Wow. Jeez. <laughs> Just something that didn't get discussed beforehand, I guess. Exactly, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, there was, there was some... The, there were some times where I feel like my mom did things just to piss off my dad. It's entirely possible. Yeah. I mean, what was there ever, if you're comfortable talking about it, discussion between them about their aspirations for you or your progress as a kid? Or was it just completely I think, siloed? I think that it had more to do with my education. Like, uh, the whole schedule flipped for me when I was in the sixth grade because they wanted me to go to a better school. So... I went from weeks with my mom, weekdays with my mom, and weekends with my dad, and then uh, around sixth grade, uh, I transferred and I had to live closer. So, uh, weekdays with my dad, and then weekends with my mom. Sure, sure. So, Bo in this episode says he's nothing like his parents, and I think as outside observers, we can see that he actually does, in fact, have quite a bit in common with both of his dads. Um, either of you. Who in your lives do you think you're most like, or is the answer nobody? Hmm. I I say often that uh, I'm turning into my father, especially like raising my kid, because uh, I will say something to her that once it once it exits my mouth, I'm like, oh my god, I just heard I heard him say that, um, and it's not a bad thing. He's, I mean, my dad. And I think feel like I spent like most of my time with him in you know any sort of parent um, you know relationship. I he and I were pretty much buddies. Uh, he called me his roommate when I moved back home after college, uh, mostly because he made me pay rent. But um, was that the building I was in? With? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A, with the rooftop. Yeah, really cool place. Yeah, really interesting place. He's still there, but yeah, but we don't have access to that floor that my room is on anymore. Um, the building owners are use, letting their kids uh, use it as storage. Oh. <laughs> my old bedroom is just like <laughs> piled high with someone else's boxes. Go figure. Um, yeah, and, and and my dad was my best man at my wedding. Um, I mean, he and I are pretty close. We're buds. I, I feel like I can tell him pretty much anything. Um, but the joke in the family is that if you have an announcement, uh, you tell my dad a secret. <laughs> <laughs> I I know for my part. I mean, I grew up in an extremely traditional home. I'm I'm the grudge holding, self righteous side of my mom, and then the like painfully extroverted, talk to stranger danger people on the street of my dad. And so I like I like how that shook out for sure. <laughs> nice mix. Yeah, I guess. I I really don't know. I I couldn't tell you because. Um, so the part of my growing up I didn't relate is I lived with my grandmother in high school, so I didn't have any like stable kind of parentage. So I'm sure I picked up some of the bad habits of of all of them, in in part. But I I feel like I most tried to internalize the media that I uh, I absorbed, which is why I probably do shows like this. Like you think about the morals at the end of He Man, or like how Optimus Prime treats people, and I feel like that hopefully maybe explains a lot about the way uh, I try to act, at least. Um, If we can get back to your question about uh, how do we feel about the kind of reconciliation at the end of Reunion, it it did feel a little, like, sitcom-y, like, well, we have a problem and we're we're wrapping it up in 22 minutes uh, kind of thing to me. But I feel like that's pointed. Uh, You can stop me because as a... As a straight person, I, I don't have the authority to talk about this, but we've mentioned a lot about how She-Ra just takes things like diversity as a given, right? Like there's no no hullabaloo about the fact that Bo has two fathers, for instance, uh, in this episode. And I felt like this was kind of a, 
fantasy version of of like a coming out story of like in this world where everyone can be diverse and it's not remarked upon someone can have a completely different identity that their parents don't know for their whole lives and their parents just accept it instantly regardless of the implications that is that is certainly the world we wish to live in right right yeah and i feel like that might be at work here yeah because there i mean in reality you see parents have to say okay i will accept this but i'm going to have to take some time to process it because the human mind when presented with something completely foreign and new doesn't just go oh okay you know right yeah and i'm i'm hoping that we maybe see more of these characters and mm-hmm. we get to see how the relationship evolves once the processing starts happening right because that's the journey i want to see uh, Chris and I actually went to dinner last weekend and yeah. had a really great conversation that is surprisingly relevant to this about apologizing to your children. Mm-hmm. And I was saying how, granted, I'm sure I don't remember every second of my childhood, but I'm a very stubborn person, a very self-righteous person, because I don't think I ever heard my parents apologize to me for anything um, very much like once they have an opinion that's right and that's it once they've chosen a way that's right and that's it and that has worked for them but Chris was telling me how if and you can tell this story I guess on uh, for yourself but you apologize to your daughter if you feel like you've handled the situation incorrectly and Bo's, yeah. Bo's parents apologize to him too yeah I- It was more after the fact that I realized how important it was, but I wanted – I didn't – one of my main things is that I don't want to pass my anger or my um, insecurities or anything like that on to her. And I know for a fact that like my dad and my mom were hot-tempered and, you know, I I don't need her to see – if she sees, which she does, me blow up in traffic or, um, you know, tell her to get out of my way when I'm trying to cook, uh, <clears throat> I try to make sure that she knows that it's not about her. That's the, the main issue is that um, I don't want her to internalize anything to be like he's upset with me or something I did or I'm wrong. I, and and I want her to know that. and. Um, I think it's turning out all right. She's she's a wonderful little compassionate p- person. Uh, yeah, and I know that if she's not, you're going to call Krampus, right? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Adam Scott, uh, he's in that movie that uh, no one saw. Oh, the the actual Krampus movie. Yeah. Yeah, Chris's Chris's daughter uh, has a basically a fan fiction in her head that yeah. I super approve of. That Santa and Krampus are just like buds and they mm-hmm. hang out. Yeah, mm-hmm. she she she's like, I don't like Santa's friend though. And I was like, Who's that? The man with the goat legs. <laughs> oh, goat Kram- man, Krampus. Yeah, I don't like Krampus. I was like, he's not to be liked. He's he's doing his job. <laughs> but, but I just like the idea that like throughout the summer they're yeah. just friends. Right. They go to Lake Tahoe together. Yeah, street festivals. Yeah. <laughs> that that's such a an interesting question. It it like almost frames parent child relationships in a way I had literally never considered that like parents could apologize. Uh, to children, uh, but there's the, the my favorite line in the whole episode, which I think you've called out to in conversation is we thought we were being supportive, but really we were being terrible. Oh, that is that's a good so line. Sweet. My favorite line from this episode is I want to see the bubble baths, but that's not a very relevant line. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know it'll lighten the mood. Baby pictures. I've got some great ones from Bo's first bubble bath. I'm gonna show a door and glimmer my room now. I want to see the bubble baths now. Speaking of, of family in this episode, that does kind of transition to another, maybe my my final point about this episode, which is your chosen family. Mm. Uh, the very conclusion of this episode, there's a very sitcom-y end of Full House episode group hug. And Bo's parents say, this is a family hug. Princesses, you're part of this family too. And they all embrace. And... There are definitely people in my life who I consider closer to me than some people who are related to me by blood. I do have a little sister, 
uh, my little sister and I, I mean, we're cool. I love her. I'm, I'm, I'm ride or die for her. But we could not be more opposite in, in physical appearance, in personality, in demeanor, in political belief. I mean, sh- there's just very little for us to talk about, and that's fine. Uh, as a result, though, I have two friends who I call my sisters, and I fully believe that those are my sisters, and I'm going to treat them as such until we're all dead and in the ground. Um, in fact, at my best friend's wedding, my whole speech was about there's a family that you're born with and there's a family that you choose, and Susan is the family that I choose. And my other, my other sister's Jess. She's been on this show. Hello, Jess. So who, for you guys, are the, the family members that you've chosen? Hmm. Uh, I often joke that I paid my college tuition to make some of my best friends, and that was about it, because um, I pretty much wasted my education uh, the time I could have been learning. But I wouldn't, if I could time travel and say, like, Chris, you're going to waste your time. I wouldn't, <laughs> because I met so many awesome people. Um, uh, I was just hanging out with my buddy Brandon Bowler yesterday at the Pride party. Um, you know, he he's the only person I have a secret handshake with. Um, that's yeah. that's like for real, right there. Uh, and I remember you and Brandon being tight, yeah. you know, a decade ago. And yeah. I'm happy to hear that that's still a thing. We uh, we actually had a little bit of a, a spat. Just neither it was not one of our our faults, but we were frustrated about a situation that went down. I. I yeah. So we were texting and, you know, I was like, you know, I'd, I'd really like to work this out. And I forget what he said to me, but I was like, this is why we're deeper than brothers. Um, because, like, we could have this really sort of like, you know, using ugly words at each other via text. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, he wants to make up for it and I want to make up for it. And he's like, you know, let's just let me just come over and we'll talk face to face. And we'll get this out of the way. And um, and it was when I realized, I was like, we're deeper than brothers. Uh, I, and, I, and I have the same sort of relationship with my siblings. Um, I would say that, like, I would do anything for them. I would jump in front of any train to protect them. But uh, the older we get, the less I find in common. Um, and with my situation of being, you know, the only kid between my parents. I'm the youngest of three, and then I'm the youngest of two in two separate families. You know, I have three... You're a double baby. <laughs> yeah, I have three older half-siblings, but I would never, I would never like, oh, this is my half-brother, Alex. Or, you know, you know like, yeah. I, they're my brothers and my sister. Um, but, I, yeah, I, I'm always like... Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, that's not me. I I really enjoy some of the points you've been making, though, about the language that we choose. I mentioned mm-hmm. on an earlier episode that I'm going through a divorce, but I don't think I'm ever going to stop calling my former brother-in-law my brother. Like, he was my brother for long enough that mm-hmm. I don't I don't think that gets undone for me. That's just that's just family now. See, my answer to your question, which I appreciate you asking is that I like have no family left. So like for me, all of my family is the family I've chosen, but not to be too much of a downer. The weird thing about that is that like, uh, your chosen family can sometimes have an expiration date, even if with no malice, like sometimes friendships just drift apart, you know, um, Boy, this is really real. So, like, the for years and years, the Nerdologs who like uh, quasi host this podcast were like the people I was closest to, and then we kind of broke up. And I don't see all those guys that much anymore, and I, I love them all. But the, you know, certainly the relationship isn't as um, as deep as it once was. So I kind of feel like I just am on this sea of like, there's a lot of people that I like enough. And then some amount of those people will at any point be like very, very close to me. But I don't hate that. Uh, that said, there's certainly some permanent fixtures in my life. So Ben Rather, I know you're listening. I love you. You're the best. Dwight Hassler, you're not listening, but I also love you. <laughs> um, those, I mean, there's others, yeah. but those are the two that immediately 
come to mind for sure. Well, and that can happen. I just want to make the note that that drifting apart physically or emotionally or otherwise, that can happen to people you're related to as well. But you have to pretend like that didn't happen, I feel like, when you're actually related to them. Oh, With do you? Friend, That's I, not a role I live by. Oh, <laughs> I could be wrong. I don't know these things. Like I said, uh, but I, I feel very fortunate. Like every my big holiday every year is I um, the Saturday before Thanksgiving. I invite uh, a lot of friends over to my place, and we have friendsgiving, and it's the literal best. I like make a turkey, and it's just so warm and fun. And it started with just my college friends, because like you, I met so many of my good friends in college, and then a lot of them moved away. So I started adding nerdologs people, and now that's a little in a weird zone. So I just invite people that I love now, and it's really great. I invited Lauren last year, but she couldn't come. She's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> she's she's all right. Yeah, I couldn't come because that was at a very weird emotional time. I ended up at a very, very small party where they made me a special food that didn't have any milk in it, and that made me feel very loved. My milkshake brings all the boys to the yard, and they're like, it's better than yours, damn right. It's better than yours, I could teach you. But I have uh, before we wrap this episode in this season of uh, men being vulnerable, which I appreciate, by the way, I think men should be vulnerable more often. Absolutely. Uh, I do want to call back a couple Shira things that happened in the very last scenes of the episode. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of Hordak action and imp action. Right. So, first of all, Lauren and I have talked about in the classic series the comic relief that is Hordak's trapdoor and poor Mantena. Like there, we watched the the Unicorn Island episode where he literally gets dropped down a trapdoor probably five times in different iterations. Uh, there's one point in this episode where Catra displeases Hordak and she's standing above something and Hordak reaches for a lever. And my classic Shira brain is like, oh, this is going to be funny, LOL. And then it's like torturous. Like Katra is like gasping for air and it's like truly painful and horrifying. So. Yeah. So friend of the podcast, Jacob, and literally Chris have asked, is this show appropriate for kids as young as mine? And this is the scene I think about when I'm like maybe because the like suffocation is just violent it's probably the most violent thing that has happened in this show yeah it's hard to watch and we don't really see her get out of it no so where will catch be when we pick up with season three but also where the fuck what is shadow weaver up to oh um I, I imagine we're going to get some sort of um, maybe disingenuous but sort of offer of allegiance or offer of team up like she did when she went to Hordak. I think she's just looking for somewhere where, where she'll be accepted and can feel powerful again. Wow. I think Adora will say no, obviously, but mm-hmm. that's the scene I'd like to see, just watching watching Shadow Weaver flail around again and try to find some place where she can feel like she gets to be in control and have power. So that's where we leave She-Ra season two. Uh, is there anything else you're especially looking forward to in season three? We mentioned Gina Davis. We mentioned what you think is going to happen with Adora and Weaver. Uh, they're headed to a, a place called the Crimson Waste. I think they're going to try to find that portal. If we look at the season three poster, it's going to be a very like Mara-centric plotline and so i hope raz comes back and some of my theories get hammered out it's sad that we were already told by the people at dreamworks that they're probably never going to explain who or what imp is because imp is also in this episode being real creepy and i i noticed just how much he looks like a mini hordak (laughs) <laughs> and the, I, I came up with a really intense fan fiction while we watched this together, and it is that Imp is being basically turned into a clone of Hordak. So when Hordak's current body is, like, ravaged by machines and gives out, he can just transfer his consciousness into the mimic that is Imp and continue to live forever. So you can just take that one, DreamWorks, and you can just use it. That's tight. They still haven't produced my uh, my episode that I pitched like two years ago, though, a year ago. So I don't know, Lauren, I get in line behind my great ideas. <laughs> <laughs> we should just uh, start our fanfic network and see how many people will read it. Can I can I now I'm yeah. I'm episodes behind. Um, I'm still in season one, but I just watched the episode where uh, Entrapta Entrapta. Entrapta. Entrapta, okay. Uh, 
uh, basically reveals that the black garnet is a rune stone, and they, uh, you know, they managed to turn it into a, a weapon. Uh, but Imp has his little uh, like tape recorder setting. Mm-hmm. So I was, this is my theory, is that he's some kind of just like technological. And I think I feel like because Hordak is the man on top, you know, he might have some knowledge without letting everyone else know of the thaumaturgical relationship between magic and science. And so that this is like some sort of biotech. Yeah, it could be. That Imp is his little android baby. His talk boy. His little talk boy. But he's an actual boy. Yeah. (laughs) See, and that's interesting because my theory, which I don't remember if I said on air, is that I think Imp is one of the babies that Hordak's party has like raided from other planets. Oh, he could be Mm. though still. But I I think all three could be correct. (laughs) That's true. So Speaking of runestones, that was one more question from this episode that I forgot. The runestone shard that is in the library. What runestone is that from? Mm. Have they all been... I mean, I'm like I said, I'm behind. Are they all accounted for at this point? I don't think we actually know how many there are or how many there's supposed to be. I think it was kind of set up as uh, an open door for uh-huh. there to yeah. be more princesses. Yeah. We know that yeah. there are more out there somewhere, but not how many. Right. Light Hope wasn't like, there are 13. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't like the Cylons. Find five more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who are they? So uh, we didn't get too much into politics today, and it, it is a political podcast, and we're about to go off the air for a while. Um, A lot's going to happen before we come back. And by then, I think maybe some of the people will be cut out of this Democratic race. Real quick, who's your front runner for the the Democratic Party right now? Super Elizabeth Warren. Uh, I also would not – my feelings on Bernie have evolved to where I wouldn't be sad to vote. Well, okay, asterisk, I'll vote for any of these people. Marianne Williamson, I might sit at home and just let it shake out no even i'd vote for her uh warren number one by far bernie i'd be fine with voting for i like harris uh i know there's a lot of feelings about her being a quote cop that i i have uh i have thoughts on but i'm not woke enough in that area maybe um Buttigieg is interesting but potentially problematic and castro had a really great debate performance yeah um Mayor Pete, Booty, whatever, Buttigieg. Buttigieg. And Kamala, I think they've fallen off of my list for very similar reasons. Just their, you know, handling of racism and police brutality. I think that is a very important topic for our city right now, and they're not impressing me. But I, my one and two are the same as yours. I'm Elizabeth Warren, and I did vent earlier in this season that I was not a big Bernie fan. But Bernie won me back with literally... Um, just student loan forgiveness. If, if, if we can have all of our student loans forgiven right as I finish up school, that would be just really convenient timing for me. So he can, he can be on the list, I guess. I also noticed he is talking over people less now. I don't know. So he's either been coached or has w- wisened up. Yeah, he probably took the notes from last run. Yeah. I definitely have noticed kind of in that vein that these candidates are stepping up and supporting one another a little bit more than Mm -hmm. maybe in previous elections. You know, they're taking selfies with one another. And when one of them gets heckled or called out on social media, you'll see Mm -hmm. someone else come to their defense. Like Bernie is nothing like Joe Biden, but he stepped up to bat a couple of days ago against ageism. Mm-hmm. And it's just nice to see the reminder that mm-hmm. everyone's on the same team in the end. Everyone's on team anti-fascism. Yeah, I think that they, the Democrats took notes from the, uh, the Republicans in 2016 because those, those debates were, wow, like super toxic, super negative. Everyone – I mean, I mean look, who, look at the cream that came yep. to the top. Uh, mm-hmm. Of that, and I think that they don't want to project the same sort of, mm, you know, feels. <laughs> right, and the the Democratic Party still, I think, could do a lot of work showing united, clear talking points. Mm-hmm. I I really was getting cringed, cringy a couple days ago. Um, 
seeing like Elizabeth Warren's dog being sort of memed and mm. like I don't want memes at this point. Like yeah. we have concentration camps at the border. I'm over memes. That's how the please, Russians infiltrated. Yeah. <laughs> please please tell me policy. Yeah. But I I mean I agree with you, but also Warren is like the biggest policy nut yes, of them all. She specifically is. I just yeah. I just yeah. mean in the end, I think we're all speaking the same language. There's mm-hmm. a long way for them to go still. Yeah. And, but thank goodness they're at least taking some of the notes. All right. Let's. So we'll be back in a month. Do you genuinely think in the next month any politicians will any Democrats will drop out? And if so, who? So I I don't know how soon, but I think like Yang and Gillibrand are probably going to be out relatively fast. My like dark horse for who's going to be out faster than we would expect is probably actually Mayor Pete. Mm. I think there's so much uh, negativity from um, what town is it? South Bend? South Bend, yeah. From South Bend and just how the population there considers him to be all talk and he hasn't actually done much of anything to bring diversity to the police force or stop the violence and that's been getting a lot of press lately and if mm-hmm. that holds I don't know if he can if he can swim out of it I'm, I'm really hoping Beto sits the hell down oh yeah get off those get off the counter and sit down buddy <laughs> I am not I am not pleased to admit that when I first heard of Beto I legitimately thought that that was a Mexican or Hispanic nickname and he must be a candidate of color. Mm-hmm. And then I learned that he wasn't. Yeah. And and now it feels like some sort of like trickery tactic. A, a and I'm bait like, and switch. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I know I'm not the only person who thinks that, but I know I'm specifically riled up about it well, because I got fooled. I'm now learning in this moment that we're all experiencing that Beto is not a person of color. <laughs> He's a white guy. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah, yeah. I knew that. Thanks for listening to She-Ra, Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com, or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressiveofpower.